Let's start. You are now rocking. Rocking with the best. Double rainbow. Oh my God. Live on your radio. It's the beat break. With your host, Sean Garvey. I'm the dude. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Beat Break Morning Show on 87 FM, 101 The Vibe FM. I go by the name of Sean Garvey, ladies and gentlemen, holding things down with DJ Rollum and the rest of the crew. Thank you so much for tuning in to the social media live version of the Beat Break Morning Show. We're on all multiple platforms, 87 FM, 101 The Vibe FM in Louisville, Kentucky. Also on the Flow Television Network, you can check us out on your Apple. TV, your Fire TV, Roku TV, and even YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel at Beat Break Radio. We got a great show for you all, ladies and gentlemen. And also, big shout out to our new weather forecaster, Randy Gregory, with the weather report coming up at the top of every hour. Make sure you follow us on all social media at Beat Break Radio. And follow us there. And don't forget to download the Podcast FM app to your mobile device. You can check out over 50 radio stations and podcast networks, including our station, 87 FM, 101 Divide FM, on your Podcast FM app. You can download it for free from the Amazon store and even from the App Store, wherever you get your podcasts and wherever you get your apps from. Sean Garvey, ladies and gentlemen, holding things down with DJ Rollum and the Wake Up Morning Squad, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Beat Break Morning Show. Got a very special guest right here on the morning show, and I'm so happy to have him on the morning show. I had an opportunity to go check out the latest stage play, Karma, which took place at the Clayton County Performing Arts Center. It went down. You heard me talk about it with Tiffany Roberts, the director of the stage play, and some of the cast members that participated in the stage play. But we got one of the cast members joining with us right here on the Beat Break Morning Show, one of the actors. I, I know him for a minute just by way of social media. And I've been following this guy on social media and he has done a great job, not just even on the stage play, not just with Karma, but just in other projects as well. So we got the one and only Jesse Bigum on the Beat Break Morning Show. Good morning, Jesse. How you doing? Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. So outstanding. Uh, thanks for having me on. Man. OK, so I got a fun fact. I got a fun fact about Jesse. He is born on the same month. As my birthday, so we're January babies, which is which is so awesome, right? And you're, I would say, I'm telling my age a little bit. You're you're about a year younger than me, because <laughs> I'm I was a, I'm an '84 baby. You're an '83 baby, right? But that's that's yeah. so dope. You know, they they try to um, say they meaning some people they try to say that you know us Aquarians or uh, was it Sagittarius, Capricorns, who, whatever? Like they try to say that we 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 are right, we're not the best, but <laughs> I mean we're, we're we're like we're like we're like tequila. You love us or you hate us, right? <laughs> you know, I, I mean I'm not really much of a tequila guy. You know what I'm saying? I'm more of a, a Jack type of person, but <laughs> you love us or you hate us, right? <laughs> so man, um, Karma, let's talk about that real quick, man. Uh, you know, and an, another interesting thing too. Um, after the stage play ended and we did our meet and greet type of thing, you know, I met you 
um, afterwards. And I was like, I could have sworn that me and Jesse worked on a project together years ago. You know how you're on the set with other people and you meet people in the industry and stuff. And you're like, I could have sworn me and him crossed paths once upon a time in in an independent project. But I think I may have mistaken you with another actor. (laughs) It happens. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you know, and and I was like, man, okay, you you got a lot to say about uh, what we're going to talk about on uh, this morning's topic, which of course is the writer strike. I call this episode the writer strike back. Um, you know, I be yeah. I always be coming up with catchy topics, man. But uh, I had to bring you on. But let's talk about you, um, Jesse Begum, before the acting, before the stage plays, yeah. before the projects, TV, film, and all that great stuff. L.A., California, Los right. Angeles, California, man. T- tell us, how right. did it all begin? Uh, long story short, man. Um, honestly, it's actually a weird story. I, I grew up in South Central, so it wasn't a lot of acting going on at the time. <laughs> in the 90s and 80s, it wasn't a whole lot of acting. Uh, but for me, I think what really made me believe like it's possible it's a thing that could happen you know that to me that was the the moment that started it um my brother went to school at lock high school mm-hmm. and that's in um like the east east side east la and he and uh tyrese knew each other this before the dude blew up and I, I met him once. I'm a kid, you know, I messed with my big brother and his friend. And and then, you know, it wasn't really a big deal. Just my brother's friend is over here. Right. And then one day, um, this commercial happens and everybody is like bugging out. Like everybody that you knew in the area was like, yo, like, did you see this? And uh, so I see this commercial and I'm like, this is crazy. Like for me as a kid, mm. I'm probably, I don't even remember exactly how old I was, but as a kid in a world where typically, you know, you either gang banged, you was a gang banger, or you had a nine to five, and you know what I mean? Like that was kind of the world scope. Yeah. At the time, the arts weren't really big at the time. There wasn't a lot of whole, there wasn't a lot, a lot of uh, after school programs, things like that. And to see, it's one thing to see, you know, famous people, but to see somebody that you've, seen in real life I've, I've i've touched this person i've, I've spoken to this person i know I, I i this is a tangible thing it did something for me as a kid um but i think um i really knew i can do it when i was trying to do a school play and they tried to cast me as danny zuko in, in greece <laughs> figured yeah maybe i can do it yeah and the rest was history from that point the rest on. Was pretty much history man because i'm looking at your catalog of projects from ATL Homicide, Murder Chose Me, Angel and the Beast, Armed and Dangerous, Shattered, I can go on and on and on, right? And when you look back at your catalog, do you feel like you have made it or do you feel like, man, you know, I I still got more work to do? Um, In this industry, man, there's no such thing as, in my opinion, as making it. It's it's kind of like it, it it's something it's a, it's a constant growth and experience and either it's in you or it's not you know what I mean mm. 
Um, no, I definitely feel like there's so much to do. Like, like every day, like, every, like there's always things to talk about, things to express. You know, as we grow, so does our ability as actors grow, I think. Mm, mm. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it's, it's a rewarding industry, you know, working in film and television, right? And right. Um, being a part of something that is bigger than you, like, do you, when you, when you tap into the character, the character roles that you portray, how immersed do you really get into the character? Because, you know, sometimes actors, and I've heard actors say this, not every actor, but some actors, they say that that character that they portrayed in that particular film or that particular TV project they don't know how to get rid of that character. They sometimes take that character home with them because they just got so immersed in that. Do, right. do you find yourself, you know, immersed in some of the character roles that you play? Uh, no, no. Um, and there's a reason for it. When I, uh, when I was younger, I took an acting workshop. Um, at, Tasha Smith had an acting workshop in L.A. And I was going to it and I was learning so much about it. And it's very like um, the Ivana Chubik method of acting. And it's, it taps, it's a lot of tapping into real, real life experiences, stuff like that. And um, I learned then that that type of acting, there's a time and place for it. But that's not something you sh I should play with too much. And that's because you, acting makes a person tap into things that are inside themselves. Mm. And so in order to give you something, I have to take something from me. So as an actor, as, you know, you have to be able to, like, control that that energy. So, you know, it's methods and tactics some of us use to wash that off before we go home. Um, I like uh, the, the representation method. You know, I find something in the character I can relate to. And I'll work from there. Typically, sometimes I will try. I will pull from real life experiences, but I try to keep that to a minimum and only use it where necessary. Because, yeah, man, that stuff can stick with you. And when you, if you got a wife and kids, you know, what I mean? you don't want to take that home. Yeah. And, and tank and, you know, and put that on them. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's real talk right there. JC, big um on the Beat Break Morning Show. First time with your truly Sean Garvey. Karma, let's talk about that. Um, karma, <laughs> stage play, I attended. Also, big shout out to Yana Lou, a very good friend of ours. Um, she attended the stage play with me as well. Uh, it, it took place a couple of weekends ago at the Clayton yeah. County Performing Arts Center. I have not been to the Clayton County Performing Arts Center in a long time, but I'm glad to return to a venue where you get to see up-and-coming actors and even seasoned actors uh, do their thing on stage and uh, you all definitely did your thing on stage uh, karma the stage play and, and and you know we had the cast and of course Tiffany Roberts on the beat break morning show uh, a couple of weeks ago to talk about the stage play and, and you know the interesting thing about doing interviews with actors and cast members of course they can't really say too much about 
uh, what is in the storyline, what is in the, the the story within itself. But you can visualize it in your mind when you hear them talking about it, right? But to, when you actually go and you see it, you're like, oh, wait a minute. I, I did not know <laughs> this was what it really was about, you know? And, and, and I did not expect some of the things to happen in that stage play. And, you know, I'm the type of person who loves mystery and suspense, but that stage play, just looking at it from beginning, middle, and end, there were some things that were very unexpected. But for those that did not get a chance to come out and see Karma, talk to us about your character role in the stage play. I play a character named Bobby, and uh, Bobby is a very misguided lover. I'll say that. He's a, you know what I mean? He's a guy who's just kind of, I don't know, damaged. And he takes it out on the people around him. I mean, that's the best way I can put it without giving out too much, too much of the recipe. But, uh, yeah, Bobby is a very, very damaged guy, and he takes it out on the people around him. You know, they say hurt people hurt people. Yeah, yeah. And, um, Bobby's one of those guys. Yeah, and you worked on a scene with Tiffany Roberts, and once again, yeah. not to give Love it her. all away. Uh, big shout-out to Tiffany. Got to give a hand clap for Tiffany Roberts. Um, absolutely, for doing a phenomenal job behind the scenes and in front of the scenes. How was right. it like working with Tiffany Roberts? Tiffany is a wonderful uh, scene partner. She's a wonderful scene partner, and that's really putting it lightly. You know, um, it's to be in this industry, to be able to, the work we do, mm. I'm only as good as my scene partner. And my, you know what I mean? And that's kind of how it is. And she's a brilliant director and she's a beautiful, a beautiful scene partner. She works hard and she gives, and it was just awesome working with her. Like she's a professional. She's awesome. Mm. Yeah. And we had, a, yeah. we had an opportunity to work with her on the, first pilot episode of unemployment check which of course the entire season is in production right now and tiffany is that type of person she's like one of those rare people jesse that you don't find in the industry right. you know she right. she's very approachable she's a listener and she will take on any type of project that makes sense to her she's not the type of person that just uh put her name on any kind of project but if it's right. something that makes sense to her and it draws her to the story then she's she's all in, she's all in. absolutely absolutely so big shout out to tiffany roberts for uh her part in, in it and just even the people i know there's another guy named sean by the way his name is spelled differently sean. than mine <laughs> yeah he he's uh part of the stage play or actually the the, the guy that is he the executive producer or the creator of. Uh, a little bit from column A and a little bit from column B. There you go. There you go. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful, man. And I can imagine that with the entire cast, you know, Joey and um, and Phoenix and, and a few others, you know, I, I can imagine that it was like a, a very family unit working with yeah. them. Yeah. So there we're we've gotten close over the years. We ran. We were, we were in a run of it before. And uh, we had another run in D uh, in uh, South Carolina uh, on Saturday. No, yeah, Saturday. And uh, we've gotten to know each other over the years. Uh, Phoenix is my guy. Like, that's one of my guys. Like, we can – we're the kind of guys that I can call him on the phone. Mm -hmm. 
and he'll just start, you know, um, ad-libbing. He'll just come off the top of the dome with something. We don't even say hello when we call each other. Like, he'll just go yeah. into a bit and we just, uh, you know, ad living for like five, 10 minutes before we actually get to a real conversation. Yeah. Like, that's just the kind of guy, you know what I mean? He is, and you know, real good guy. I love working with him. That's my guy, though. Um, everybody on that project is just really uh, joy. I mean, man, if I could go on about how dope everybody is on that project and how warm they are. No yeah. divas, no, no prima donnas, no, none of that. It's just like, let's get to it. We're always excited to see each other and always excited to put in work. Yeah. And I can just tell watching the stage play from beginning to end that they work effortlessly in that project. They work hard at it. Uh, I can just only picture how the research, uh, the rehearsals were and you, you all just look like it was just very authentic very authentic you can tell that it was rehearsed it was very authentic so uh, i'm very proud at what me and yana lu saw that night so yeah big big ups to the cast and big ups to you indeed indeed man uh so let's get into it morning's topic the writers strike back <laughs> the writers strike back uh of course the writers guild of america wga for short called the end to its strike on the evening of tuesday september 26th and the entertainment industry's engines began to rev back up after sitting idle for 148 days so if you are a tv consumer you had to watch what reruns and just YouTube <laughs> or, you know, uh, or just, like I said, reruns for 148 right. days uh, until they figure this thing out. Now, the only thing is, is that um, the actors themselves uh, have not returned to work. But uh, as far as we know, the late night hosts have returned to work like Jimmy right. Fallon and few of your right. favorite late night talk show hosts um so i'm ready i've been waiting jesse to have this conversation <laughs> with with a a source in the industry about it and get their thoughts on it yeah i, I talked a little bit about it in the yeah, last episode of the beat break morning show with um the cast from karma and of course tiffany roberts their insight on on it and i, I want to get your thoughts on it because you shared a lot behind the scenes right. you shared a lot about your thoughts and things of that sort and uh i definitely want to also add context to the listeners and the viewers that may not know the history behind the writer strike because some people jesse they think that this writer strike is something new but this oh, has no. always been happening in cinema and in, in, in entertainment history um right. so let's let's hear your thoughts you, you know what, what do you think about somewhat the outcome because i look at it as a partial outcome from the writer's right, right. What, what is your take on it well right now they have a tentative agreement and that's just so everybody get back to work because right now people are losing homes losing jobs losing money and it put a lot of people in uh in hard positions and but obviously like some you know people were trying to do that to kind of sweat people out of striking but uh you know, is it's not typically until the billion dollar the billionaires start to feel the pinch that they start to make changes. Um, yeah, because it was really about um, 
being properly compensated mm-hmm. for the work, um, not being a lot, not having AI take people's jobs because that's a big thing. And, um, you know, making sure that there was equity, like equitable workspace, like making sure you're not taking people out of the writer's room when you have television shows. Cause that's a big deal. Uh, you know, stuff like that. Um, I think that the writer strike was necessary. Uh, and it should definitely be taken serious. And I'm glad the writers, are, uh, the actors are striking too, because it's just, uh, it's, it's hard to put in words, but it's important that we protect the arts. The people that are in, the people that are in charge of the industry contemporarily are not creators. They're um, accountants and lawyers. And so they look at things from a dollars and cents perspective and, they're trying to save as many dollars as they can and trying to cut as many corners as they can to maximize deals for their shareholders and respect to the business, you know, cause it's his show business, but you're not going to cut. We shouldn't allow you to cut the show. Right. Right. I, sometimes I look at things from an objective perspective, you know, and I was waiting for one well-known actor or someone who have wrote for for <clears throat> TV studios to come and be the opposite of what everybody else was standing up for. But it seemed like everyone is in one alignment with the, right. the mission behind the writer stripe because, you know, my objective brain looks at it like, okay, you got content creators that are creating content every single day on the internet they're not going to a tv studio they're not going to these production studios they making the content themselves and putting them out there uh one name that stood out and and i mentioned his name um when i was interviewing tiffany in the cast from karma and that was country wayne you know and i know he mentioned about it he he gave his two cents on it on the breakfast club uh when we first got wind of it in may and and his take on it and everything else but what do you have to say to those that you know may feel like oh well because you you do have the naysayers you do have the the people especially people online that say oh well you know the the actors they should have known that uh, they were going to put more money into streaming. They should have known this was going to happen. They already rich and everything, you know. So wh- what do you say to the naysayers out there that make those type of comments online? I think it's fun to say. I think it gets, bu- I think it gets clicks. I think it gets views. Um, like you take a guy like Country Rain in respect of his hard work and reputation. Shout out to him for his Netflix uh special i know a lot of people who i know a few people that have worked with him great guy nothing bad to say about him however he's a stand-up comedian that's an that's an entirely different workspace you know Mm -hmm. that's an entirely different work agenda you're not depending on film and television for your for your bread and butter to feed your family to feed your kids and so you're going gig to gig you know what I mean? And that's that's a different that's just a different job. It's like um, a professional wrestler, you know, having that same conversation about, you know, a uh, you know, an Olympic an Olympic uh, wrestler. 
you know, it's it's kind of the same. They're both in the same in the same genre, in the same art form, but not the same genre. Wrestlers work 300 and some odd days a year. They're every day. Every day they're at it. Every day they're working. Um, but, you know, uh, wrestlers, they're training they're for these events. For this one event, they're training this long for this one event, and they get paid off that one gig. And though there are similarities that cross-sect, like this person cannot dictate, cannot really speak, you know, adequately about what the next person is doing, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of naysayers out there, but those a lot of those people are not the ones that are spending 10 hours a day on sets for three or four weeks at a time away from their families. Mm, mm. You know, uh, they're not the ones who are, you know what I mean, who are getting these contracts and getting these things done and having to break their neck to on these projects and deal with certain types. They're not the same people most times that are making those criticisms. And, you know. I, I really, like I said, I feel like everybody has a right to, you know, feel however they want to feel. But my thoughts on it is just like, you know, it's fun. To, it's fun to complain. But, you know, they're probably not sitting in the same seat as everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been on sets before. Right. I not only worked in radio, but I also have been an extra slash actor right. for multiple TV projects uh, behind the scenes. And, you know, just imagine, and, and you, the viewer and the listener out there, just imagine being on set for 12 hours. We're not talking about four hours, but being on set for 12 hours <clears throat> and having to go into a separate separate room and wait until you are called to uh, participate in this one scene and also having to wait hours until you can eat you know, it can be very draining at times, especially and if life you, is still going on. Yeah. <laughs> like your wife, your, your sister, your brother, your dog, your cat. Life is still going on. You've been here since six. <laughs> yeah. Six, six in the morning. And you, you might be there until midnight or until 1 a.m. the next day. It could be, it, you know, it could be. And it's, it doesn't stop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I apologize. I didn't mean to cut you. No, no, you're good. <laughs> no, you're good. You're giving people the real, the real. Um, so like let's. People, it's like this. Yeah, people don't realize backstage, like what backstage looks like. You know, it's like, oh, you're gonna be on a movie set. That's that must be fun and entertaining. And it's like, nah, nah, it's not fun. Like, it's work. It's work. It's not. It's not glamorous. It can't. It, it can be fun at times, but it's not glamorous. Is is not full of like you know. This 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 is not an entertaining vibe. You 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 got to work. There's pressure put on you. It's millions of dollars at stake. It's people's jobs at stake. It's it's not a relaxing environment all the time. You do your best to be relaxed, and you know, for someone to tell you that your work isn't worth this, this, and the third, and they're making billions off of it, and they give you none of that. In return for your 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 content, your they want to take that from you. Mm -hmm. That's not. It's just not right. Mm. Yeah. Fran Drescher, who is pretty much the head of WGA, uh, she she spoke very very publicly and she really let it all out. She was very transparent and um, vented a lot about 
the problems within the four walls of the entertainment industry uh, of actors not getting paid enough, uh, writers not getting right. paid enough, and how these corporate execs, the people that you spoke of at the very top, are treating their workers unfairly. You know, um, what what do you what do you think about her approach into it? Do you think that her approach into it and and rallying everybody up to pretty much um, go against the industry and and make these demands. Do you think her approach really helped where we're at right now with you know kind of this tentative deal, or do you think that her approach could be a, a bit different? If that makes sense. I think I think what she was doing, I think what she did was important. I think it has I think it had to happen. And um, if she didn't go about it the way she went about it, then there like there wouldn't be any boundaries. Boundaries matter. And in the field that we're operating in, um, the, it, it's easy to I don't want to say overlook, but it's easy to cast aside the the gripes and the complaints of the the hard workers in this industry because they're you know you can they make these what's the word um these vague assumptions they throw out these ideas of what we do mm. right that makes it easy and like again like you say like you mentioned earlier a guy like uh country wayne he said well he made these you know not disparaging comments but kind of like and eh, dismissive comments about it it's easy to make those dismissive comments about it when the idea behind it is when the, when the, when that's the, that's the image that's sold to everybody. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's easy not to take it serious. So for someone, for, so Fran Drescher, who has been a longstanding veteran in the, in the, in the, um, in the arts, it's themselves. Yeah. You, you kind of had to kind of throw the gauntlet out there and get people to understand like, no, this is serious. And we're talking about a lot of people's lives and we are needed. We are necessary. And you're not going to just stand by and disrespect us. And that's from right. Like again, writers, um, actors, especially the things that happened over the course of the pandemic and, you know, some of the, and, and, you know, the changes and how streaming was, was making that work. I don't know if you remember in the music industry, same thing happened. It was streaming in the music, yeah. music industry. Yeah. They had to figure it out. You know, we had to figure out like, whoa, wait a minute. We're not doing CDs anymore. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. Yeah. How are we supposed to, how are we, how, how is this, how are these sales are supposed to add up when our contracts are based on the sales? A good example of that was Scarlett Johansson and Disney. When she had to sue Disney because part of her contract was she was getting paid off of uh, the revenue that they were making from the theater. So when they pull it out of the theaters early and throw it on her, onto their streaming platform early, she's like, "Whoa, whoa, wait a minute! I'm getting shorted because you have a you have a more convenient way for you to get paid." Yeah, and it's like, why would you stab the show just so the business doesn't bleed? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you brought up a very great point um, of how music the the change in how we consume music as it 
is similar to what's going on with the TV and film industry. Like Napster, yeah. I was there. <laughs> I was there. Right. You know, I was still in. <laughs> I was still in high school. I was a senior. Ripping and running. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was a senior in high school, and a friend of mine at the time introduced me to Napster. Like I heard about Napster. You know what I mean? But he introduced me to it to where it 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 was used as as substitute from going to the record stores to purchase CDs right. because I was a I was the type of dude that would go to a record store and get a cassette tape and a CD you know and I still do right. that to this very day not the cassette tapes but the, <laughs> but the CDs you know what I mean that that's how vintage I am and I saw how it really made an impact to the music industry of downloading and streaming free music you know and not even having to go to your mom and pop record store to buy a cd or an album for 12.99 or for 17.99 but mm -hmm. you can get one or two songs for free or for 99 cents off the internet and you'd be like man i saved some money but at the same time it's also hurting the artists you know what I mean? And don't get me don't get me started on the bootlegs. You know, me and Jesse, we know. Hey, look. Listen, I'm not gonna front. <laughs> not gonna front. Stopping at the liquor store to do it outside selling bootlegs. I hey. <laughs> Especially when the CD was sold out. Listen, mm -hmm. bro, can I hey. go ahead. Twenty dollars. Five for twenty? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Even the malls, man. I'm not going to say the name yeah. of the malls, but I'm not going not going to incriminate them. But <laughs> the, the 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 malls, the thrift stores, and the thrift shops that was selling the bootleg CDs and the bootleg yeah. DVDs. The swap meets, all that. Yeah. Oh my goodness! But it's the and same. The, and yeah. the thing is, I was I was uh, prior military, mm -hmm. and when I'm deployed, I was deployed. I couldn't get the newest movies so where was i getting the movies from mm. i mean like every single movie you could possibly see they had on bootleg yeah yeah and you know i'm watching series of television series and but this is why the, the you know this is why right right everything changes uh jesse bigham actor on the Beat Break Morning Show, we're having a conversation on the writer's strike back. Let me put that title topic back up on the screen there because I just, I think it's catchy for tonight's, this morning show, <laughs> the writer's strike back. Uh, that's the topic we're talking about right here on the Beat Break Morning Show. And you can even comment on our YouTube channel at Beat Break Radio. Don't forget to subscribe too. Uh, you can comment in the comment section and let us know your thoughts on the, the partial outcome, this tentative deal. Um, that the uh, TV production studios, the powers that be, and the writers have come to somewhat of an agreement to where now the late night talk show hosts are back doing live shows again. Um, the actors, however, are still on the streets striking, um, as we know until further notice. So let's give, Jesse, let's give our viewers and listeners a timeline on where this whole writer's strike thing began, right? So 1952, way right. before we were born, right? <laughs> the right. Screenwriters Guild, a um, particular situation, um, predecessor 
of the Writers Guild of America and the Authors Lead of America strike against TV and film producers. For 14 weeks, the two sides agree on a deal that defines pay scales and script ownership rights and allows radio and theatrical writers to submit material for TV. Now, you fast forward to the 60s, right? 1960s. Writers Guild members strike for 153 days, eventually winning the right to receive residuals for the showing of theatrical films on free television. Fast forward to 1973, writer strike for 112 days, winning salary hikes as well as residual payments for movies shown on video cassettes and pay television. Fast forward to 1981. A 96-day strike results in the landmark contract that, for the first time, guarantees writers a share of producer revenues from the fast-growing pay TV and home video markets. You know, pay TV, this is pretty much the uh, emerge, the, the birth of the premium channels, like yeah, the the HBO, yeah, HBO yeah. Cinemax, and all of them. Um, the strike idols many entertainment industry workers delaying the start of the television season until November. 1985, writers approve a new pack after a two-week strike, but the union's leader calls it a, quote-unquote, I'm using air quotes here, defeat on the key issue of video cassette revenue sharing. And I'm going to skip over... Well, no, I'm not going to skip over that. Uh, 1988, a fight over residual payments for TV shows broadcast in foreign countries helps trigger a 22-week strike by writers, the longest walkout by the WGA in film industry history. The strike forces layoffs at many studios and brings financial hardship to thousands. I'm talking about thousands of industry workers. The new contract includes new formulas for calculating residuals and increases in minimum pay. Now that doesn't stop. That's that's continuing fast forward to 2007-08. I remember this happened too. A 100-day strike ends with a new contract that ensures writers a stake in the revenue generated when their movies, television shows, and other creative works are distributed on the internet. The strike that's, what, that's what ushered in the reality TV era. Right. You're exactly right. Absolutely. Uh, the strike prompts networks and studios to order new unscripted programming and accelerated the return of others, including... Like what you just said, reality TV, Paradise Hotel, Big Brother, and Celebrity Apprentice by, I ain't going to say yours truly, but you know who hosted that show. We, we're not going to say his name. All right. Um, <laughs> let me play that womp, 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 womp sound effect in the background there. Uh, to plug programming holes during primetime employment and income for industry workers dropped sharply during the period with the strike costing the California economy an estimated two billion dollars yeah. uh and then of course 2023 the wga announces a strike after a last ditch effort to negotiate a new contract fails the dispute largely filled by tensions over streaming pay triggers pickets in los angeles new york and other cities and halts productions nationwide uh Network late night shows, including ABC's Jimmy Kimmel Live and CBS The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, go dark, replaced by repeat. So that is a timeline of the writer strike. So Jesse, right. yeah, let, let me just point something out here. Um, don't you find it interesting that in every decade, when television 
switches from analog to digital, switches from black and white to color. Do you find it interesting for these strikes to happen whenever television evolves every 10 years? Because well, I see that as a pattern. Well, yeah, it's it's a I think it's necessary. I think I don't find it interesting. I find it predictable. Because the further the further we get along in this, the further the biz, the, the more the business grows, the more it the more what used to just be an art form of entertainment becomes a corporate tool to gain revenue. And when that happens, when corporate invades art, we get a very particular we get a different version of the art. We get a watered down version of the art. We get a commercialized version of the art. It's no longer risk taking and and just and pushing an envelope. It's now, you know, what's going to get the most eyeballs, what's going to make the most money. And I, there's a parallel to music. And I think because music is further is the big sister to art, to, uh, to film or the big brother to film, you can pre- pretty much predict that. Like, so how hip hop, for example, you know, once they saw the hip hop pushing the envelope and people responding to it, they took it from the artist and they start taking it to the most commercially viable thing and to the people that are most likely going to be entertained by it. And then it starts getting less and less about the purpose of it and more about the profit of it. So it's the same thing with film. I think every 10 years, like you said, the technology is on the way. Like right now, there's a gaming engines used to make films. And that means editing time is cut in half. That means special effects are done in half the time, if not a quarter of the time. So, you know, you can do things that you would never be able to do before and you can do it in in a a blink of the eye. So what does that look like 10 years from now? Mm. You know, like, and that's why this AI thing is such a, such a dangerous thing because you're not, you know, you're mimicking the art. Right. essentially and you're cutting out the the soul of it and you don't want to you know what i mean so you want to take the job and take the pay from the people that can't actually still do it so no i don't find it i don't find it at all odd i find it predictable because you know like i mentioned before our industry is now run by lawyers and accountants and you know and they're answering to they're not answering to to actual they're not answering to the to the consumers they're not answering to the fans they're answering to a board of directors yeah yeah uh, and you and you're right you know um i just don't like nowadays in 2023 going to 2024 that feeling of going to the movie theater it's just not the same anymore no it, it's just not with the advancement in technology it's kind of like a love and hate relationship at the same time. Like I love the comfort, right, of watching a great movie or a right. great TV show or or a great miniseries or project on TV, especially movies. You know, I don't have to worry about paying X amount of dollars to go see a film for two hours. I don't have to worry about trying to find a seat, a a good seat in the movie theater, especially when there's a whole lot of people in that particular movie theater or, or in that room watching that one film. I don't have to worry about those days anymore, but at the same time, that nostalgic 
feeling of going to a movie theater and seeing a film that you can actually enjoy and walk oh, away. And, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I went to go see Black Panther when it came out. I went to go to the movie theater and it was my first time, Jesse. It was my first time right. going to see Black Panther three times at a movie theater. That's how much I love the, the film and just going to the theater and also seeing the reaction on people's faces. Like they were just so excited to see a film that represented us. But since we're segueing into that for just a few minutes right here on the Be Break Morning Show, just to segue into that, uh, and, and we spoke about this offline, especially uh, after the stage play ended. Um, right. with the, the, first few, uh, the, the first few days of watching coverage of the, the protesters and, and the people striking, uh, the writers, like, I looked at it and most of them didn't look like us. No. Just just being very transparent. They didn't look like no. us. Um no. I, and, and we just recently I saw our guy Robert Townsend on the picket line. You know, and, and so wanna get your thoughts on the fact that us as you know, us as as colored people as black people as African Americans and, and our co contributions to the film industry and what have you like how do you feel about the limited I guess you could say the limited representation of us not standing alongside with our Caucasian counterparts when it comes to this whole strike you know or, or do you feel like we we're being misrepresented in 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 this particular strike that is kind of somewhat still ongoing. Do you think we're being misrepresented? Do you think that we're being kind of somewhat left out from being vocal, especially our history with the cinema and TV industry and just even the challenges that we went through yeah. as as black actors, as black actresses? Like, how do you feel about that? Well, I've, uh, that's a good question. Um, I feel that we're not being misrep uh, the lack of the representation for us is there because we're not and not as many of us are there. You know, when you think historically, you look at uh, shows like The Cosby Show, you look at shows like Girlfriends, you look at shows like Living Single, you look at you look at shows like Moesha, you look at shows like Martin. What happened to those shows? What happened? Yeah, they got they got where, the, where those shows go. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Mm -hmm. Like where those shows go? They weren't bad shows. They were they were getting numbers, but where did those shows go? Or even look at the Boondocks with Aaron McGregor. What happened to that show? They took the show from him. And this is to me, it you know, do I think I think objectively the writer strike needs to happen because writers need to be protected. Um, but just speaking to the issue with uh, black faces being represented, I feel like, you know, you know, how many shows with black writers, African and Afro-American writers exist, you know, that this is a, a show representing representing Afro-America. Uh, like what? How many how many are on the air? 
Atlanta. Is there is there another one like uh, Power? That, I, you know, like right. We can go on and, and on and on. Yeah. So, so when we when we talk about what's out there and how many of us are out there, you know, that's that's a that's the conversation when it comes to that particular piece. In my opinion, that's what I think about that. Um, I think objectively, that writer strike is great, but as far as seeing our faces there. I think it's a bitter, a bittersweet kind of thing. It's like a love hate kind of thing for us in uh, us as writers who have been fighting for seats in these rooms, who've been fighting for representation on these shows, for accurate depictions of us in the arts. Like, I don't want, you know, I can imagine, you know, the energy of I don't want to help you, but I know it's in my best interest. I don't want to be out there with you. I kind of feel like, yeah, you kind of had this coming, but not really. You know what I mean? Like not wanting it, but actually actually knowing what's best for us as a as a collective, as of artists at the same time saying, you know, we need to be represented properly as well. You know, outside of just this the rights for the group, you know, we need to be represented purely as 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 Afro-Americans in our experience and uh, artwork. Yeah. Yeah. The good thing I can take away from just this conversation and just from this moment alone with the writer strike is that now than ever before we have so many platforms jesse we have so many platforms yep. to have our content produced and distributed on uh, one particular outlet that sticks out to me and to all of us is tubi um and yep. Yep. you know tubi Regardless of what you may feel and what you may think about Tubi, especially with some of the content that's on there, places like Tubi and even Amazon Prime and, and a few other platforms are giving black writers and black actors and, and actresses and, and people in the entertainment industry an opportunity to not only curate their content, but to get their content on there without having to go through so many channels and, and right. so many obstacles to Without get the this. Bureaucracy. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, of course, yeah. you know, of course there's Netflix and then there is uh Hulu and, and a few others, Paramount Plus and Peacock and all them. But we didn't have those options before. No. We didn't have if, if you wanted if you came up with a show idea as a as an African American, if you came up with a show idea or a film project you had to i don't know you had to know somebody that knows somebody know somebody you had to have the bread well you, you well, had let's to not, let's not beat around the bush sure the, the the film industry has had a history of racism forever that's not a secret the haze codes the uh even uh i forget the the, the what was it called the um the grading system rated PG, all that other stuff. Yeah. Like all that, a lot of those, the Hayes code specifically was designed to keep our faces off the camera. It was designed to, to, to segregate us in film and arts. There's a reason why you didn't get a black character before the sixties. There's a reason you didn't get all these things before the sixties rolled around. There's a reason why William Shatner and a bunch of these guys, there's a reason the Black Panther's first comic book, 
he i mean the one of his earlier comic books they made him cover his entire face and his hands there's a reason for it you know there's a reason for so many of these things and that's because there's a a obvious and noted component of racism we're not like mgm the founder of mgm metro gold myers like created uh was that the the first what's considered the first epic uh film which was uh birth of a nation that was screened at the white house you know what i mean like this was about slavery and and like the race it was matter of fact is directly response directly responsible for influence the second era of the ku klux klan it was based off a book called the white knight like he that's metro golden meyer that's that those guys but this is the same studio that got saved by black exploitation films by shaft you know what i'm yeah, saying right. and all these guys <laughs> And yeah. then the same, so you see what I'm saying? Like right. it's for us, it's been this love hate relationship because yeah, you gave, uh, I'm sorry, God bless me. I forgot her name. Uh, you gave her the first Oscar that a black person received, but she couldn't be in, she couldn't even be in the room to get it, to accept it. Mm. So there's a, there's a lot in, in our industry. There's a great um, disparity in representation of, of us. And a lot of that is due to old traditional, uh, you know, Anglo white American ideologies by uh, corporate ideologies about us. Like even the the lie that black faces don't sell overseas. That's why we they weren't making us leads in major production films. Like there's a reason why Marvin and Melvin Van Peebles are like pioneers and, and have done so much and people have followed them so long. Because these are the guys who were bucking the system and fighting without like, this is why, even though many of us, some of us don't agree with every Tyler Perry project, project, but we're always going to support it because he even operated, like if, I'm, if he operated outside the system to build something that fed everybody, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like what we're dealing with is not new for us. So the WGA, like what they're dealing with, isn't new to us. The Screen Actors Guild, mm. what they're dealing with, isn't new to us. It's par for our course. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's par for the course of that weird that we've been experiencing. Yeah. So when you got friends and what's the name? What's the friends and um Seinfeld? Living single on the same Oh, set. living single, yeah, yeah. On the same set. And the living single cast is getting like literally terrible everything. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Right. This and this is in the 90s. <laughs> ah, so, you yeah. know, what I'm saying like this, I think, like you said, for us as black creators, the streaming platforms have put us in a position that we've never been in before. As far as equity goes. Mm hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and like I said, I think the Screen Actors Guild needed to do it. I think the Writers Guild needed to do it. The producers needed to do it. Uh, as far as speaking to, to black Afro, to Afro American culture, it was par for the course. Like yeah. it's, that, this none of this treatment, none of this stuff that they're complaining about is new to us. It's just mm. the streaming platforms have also made an opportunity for us where there wasn't opportunity before.
Right, right. Basically, in a nutshell, you, what you're saying, which is very profound, you're saying that they feeling what we've been feeling throughout yeah. history in, in, in the entertainment business. And yeah. with all the platforms that are out there, you know, and even some of our stuff are being still seen on the big major television studios. Like, for example, Empire, right? When that popped off on Fox, it didn't pop off on a streaming platform or on YouTube. It popped off on a big four network. major network, right? It made other TV studios. It made NBC and ABC and CBS look like, okay, hmm. We okay. got to invest in this. Right. And but you know that all that, the Black Panther set the stage for because think about this marvel has always been on the forefront of of uh representation of black civil rights afro-american people or the afro afro diaspora like storm black panther all that they've been on the forefront even the x-men was a was a uh, was representative of the, the civil rights struggle they put as many black characters as they could in there um but dc who has who bought milestone comics have had a library of black um, uh, characters for years. Even Static Shock, which was a long-running series, they 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 stopped that one too. But they haven't. They didn't use any of them. Mm-hmm. So then, when Black Panther came out and banked all this money, they had to re. They literally rearranged their uh, their original seven. Justice League just to put Cyborg in it because he was a black character. Yeah. Now I'm not saying that's a quote from them. I'm just saying one plus one equals two. Mm. You know, and yeah. so they start profiling more of their Afro American characters, their Afro origin or origin characters, like you said, and that's how we got you know these shows on TV that ran for as long as they ran. But this is how you got all this representation. But like you said, once you're talking about a comp- like an art being run by lawyers and accountants what's going to make them the most money yeah and lose them and lose them the least amount of fans yeah let's go to the comments real quick um we got angelic who commented on my facebook page at sean garvey on facebook and she says i thought the writers was back studio actors haven't come back yet so no no no, they're still. Uh, I'm gonna walk. I'm, I just gotta get to another room now. Uh, no, the uh, the writers just got off strike, and it's tentative. And the actors are still striking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it could be any day. It could be any right. day. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week. I mean, it could be next month until they reach their own deal. But it's just more like a wait and see type of thing, you know. Uh, but just a few few things real quick before, because I know you gotta go. Um, to to piggyback on something you said just moments ago about you know you look at the cinema history of black people and how they portrayed and even the 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 part where you brought up the rating system and I remember just as a kid you know I'm an I'm an '80s baby '90s kid and a lot of the black films or the films that had a lot of the black cast members in them I remember all of them like even the classics. The classic from the hood movies, even to the the romance based films, a lot of them had an R rating. I do not remember 
not even one black film that I went to go see that had a G rated stamp or a PG rating. Like all of them were R rated. I, I cannot. And maybe somebody can comment in the comment section uh, as you're watching live time, real time, the beat break morning show. Uh, but I don't recall a classic black film from the nineties that did not have a PG, let alone a PG 13 rating. I know. Well, and again, that, that goes back to, um, uh, sweet back. Um, with, um, Melvin Van Peebles. Yeah. They had to make that. They made he in order to put it, they made it an X rated film. The rating on it was X rating. And that goes back again, what we're talking about discussing the traditionalist ideas and things that we're actually fighting as far as, um, you know, business individuals in this industry. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like as far as though, as far as that struggle goes, um, I've been on the production side and it's, it's just, uh, it's like that. You know what I mean? Like for a long time, I could, a black man and a black woman could not kiss on television or on film. It was that serious. Again, the Hayes codes, if you look up the Hayes codes, it was very like demeaning and daunting. And again, you know, black, they're saying black people don't do well overseas and this, that, and the third, you know, it's those kind of conversations it, that were, that these are a lot of the things that they were using to validate a lot of these things to exclude, um, us as far as rep- representation goes. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Um, this is why it's important for more of us to write, to produce, and and to um get on that business side like streaming has changed a lot of what we as a culture are able to do and i think that's the most important thing like the business side the business yeah i'm glad that everybody's getting there doing all that stuff and pushing us forward as as a as an art you know but as as afro-americans as afro african people in america we have to be vigilant in terms of, okay, that's great too. You know what I mean? That's great too. However, we need to, you know, making sure that we're putting projects together and taking advantage of this opportunity. Indeed. Indeed. One last question um, for this conversation. Do you expect another writer strike to happen in the near future? Uh, Maybe in some, maybe like I said, maybe another 10 years. Mm. And again, that's because I've seen some of the technology coming and how it's going to create um, issues. Mm. How these people are going to take it, how these corporations are going to take advantage of it. And um, now I'm going to say this uh, as a caveat. I don't like take technology as much as you want to human beings need interaction. We need, we need that psychologically. And there, I don't believe that there's ever going to be a time where like take Tubi for example, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody thought Tubi was going to do as well as Tubi is doing. 
But the reason they didn't was because, you know, you had this very simplistic AI algorithm driven thing with, you know, Netflix and all these, all these things. You're not seeing normal films. And then you get Tubi and you're seeing normal, you're seeing a normal range of films. Mm. You're not getting these, you're not seeing all the, re, it's the creative, is is good, bad, or indifferent. It's all the creative projects that Tubi is generating. The variety that Tubi is generating. That people are, are drawing individuals to that space. There's a variety I can watch. There's not like, I'm going to watch, uh, it's not all these predictable, it, it, it's the risky, it's the risk involved, it's what drew you to the theater. That's what Tubi's, that's what Tubi's bringing. Mm. And I think, again, uh, Disney sold, Disney sold uh, Disney Plus, and uh, so is uh, Disney selling Disney Plus, Max, T, uh, Max is selling Max TV, you know what I'm saying? Like, HBO Max is being, has, has gotten sold. And this is why, you know, that people want creativity. People want art. Yeah. So I think there'll be another writer strike. But I think before that, there'll be uh, a rebirth or uh, renaissance in filmmaking. Right. Right. Indeed. Indeed. Well, Jesse Bigum, thank you so much, my brother. Yo, well, I know you got I some. You. I, got new, I know you got some uh, new projects coming down the pipeline very soon care to share before we let you go uh i just finished a project uh fractured just finished that uh shout out to mimi keys um man you caught me up i didn't <laughs> i didn't expect it uh karma has <laughs> another run coming in and we're gonna be in uh, south carolina um i just finished another project with mimi and her team um it's under wraps right now, but no, shattered. Uh, man, I'm. Oh Just my god, busy. I've been busy. I've been so busy, man. I got some projects in development. Uh, if if anybody wants to keep up with me, my IG is Jesse Dwight. I mean Jesse Bingham. Uh, my IG, my IMDb is under Jesse Bingham. My Facebook is <laughs> Jesse Bingham. Um, but yeah, man, I got a lot of projects coming down the pipeline. Some I've written. Um. And some just in pre-production, some without names yet. So, and I like it, man. I like mm -hmm. it. Well, we really appreciate it, Jesse Brigham, man. I mean, just by even putting in your two cents in the conversation on the writer strike and, and just dropping jewels uh, to those that may not know what is happening with the writer strike or may not know how the writer strike began, because we just watching it unfold in front of our very own eyes tv right. and on social media so it's going to be interesting to see how everything else plays out but we really appreciate you for coming on the morning show man and much success much more success to you and uh i, I can't wait to see you in some more projects man so you know you already got my support i'll keep you posted absolutely thank you so much jesse bigham on the beat break morning show ladies and gentlemen uh coming up we got him in the building. We got film director David Weathersby. He's going to join in on the conversation. He's going to give his two cents on the writer's strike and uh, so much more. So we're going to take a break real quick. Uh, we are on social media at 
Sean Garvey on Facebook, but we're also on multiple platforms. We're on the Flow Television Network, Apple TV, Roku TV, Fire TV. We are also on our YouTube channel at Beat Break Radio, YouTube at Beat Break Radio, Reach One Network, 87 FM, 101 The Vibe FM. We everywhere, baby. We everywhere. All right. So stay tuned. Y'all keep it locked. It's the Beat Break Morning Show. Coming up next is film director David Weathersby. Y'all keep it locked right here on the Beat Break Morning Show. Sean Garvey is the MC. So respect the architect as I begin to build. DJ Rollum is the DJ. Go DJ, that's my DJ. Go DJ, that's my DJ. And Star Kells fills you in on what's trending. Do anything for clout. Do anything for clout. The Beat Break Morning Show. Tune in and tap in. It's the Beat Break Morning Show with Sean Garvey and the crew. Welcome back to the Beat Break Morning Show right here on 87 FM, 101 The Vibe FM, also on the Flow Television Network and on your Roku TV, Apple TV, Fire TV, YouTube at Beat Break Radio. Don't forget to be a subscriber today. Beat Break Radio on YouTube, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Big shout outs once again to actor Jesse Bigham for coming on the Beat Break Morning Show and giving his two cents on the ongoing strike that is happening right now just to uh, get people up to speed. If you don't know, um, the writers have made a tentative deal with the TV and film studios. Um, They made a a tentative agreement. However, the actors are still on strike. So it's partially ongoing. We're just waiting to see what's going to happen next within a few days and a few weeks or so. So uh, we would definitely keep you posted. But right now we have another great individual from the entertainment industry we had him on the beat break morning show before he is a well-known filmmaker the founder of city vanguard of course you know him from such great works as it's different in chicago the color of art and so many other projects welcome back to the beat break morning show david weathersby what's going on david Hey, how you doing, man? Thank you for having me. Man, welcome back to the Beat Break Morning Show, man. Uh, where are you calling from? Are you in the uh, L.A. area? Are you uh, where the where the sun is at? No, I'm right outside Chicago, but we still got some sun. Unusual that there's some sun around <laughs> here right now. I'm like we're just 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 enjoying it while it's here. Yeah, yeah, you know it's officially fall season you know it's fall season when you step out of your house and it is 59 60 degrees outside well at least here in atlanta (laughs) right yeah it's i mean i think the other day it was still in the 70s wow almost 80s here yeah yeah so it's it's um yeah we, we we try not to just we don't we don't jinx things here when it's warm we just go do what you gotta do and just enjoy it because we know what's coming I know you got a project that says it's different in Chicago, but maybe Ooh. you can do another project and call it "It's Always Sunny in Chicago." Yeah, I wish that was. <laughs> you wish that was. The, you wish that was the case. Nah, weather here. I, you know what? A lot of people I enjoy it because it keeps you on your toe. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah, it is. It it's never boring. Yeah, it's uh, there. You go. It's never boring in Chicago. There you go. <laughs> There you go. You, <laughs> you heard it here at <laughs> It's never boring in Chicago. 
Never. Never. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not to take away from the shy. Big shout outs to the people over at the shy. But, you know, maybe do like another another project maybe you turn it into a series or something and say it's never born in chicago something like that but it's yeah, gotta be I mean, it's gotta be more comical because you know we have the shy which is more drama but maybe like a comical sitcom or series is never born in chicago i'm i'm sure that i mean there have been a couple i i wouldn't be surprised because some of the most hilarious people i've ever run into mm-hmm. are, are here and it's not like a comedian it's like the the post the cable guy the ups driver the, the amazon driver right. it's just hilarious <laughs> like chicago just has just people just it's it's they're just random people that will just say something hilarious like they wrote it and then just going about the day so yeah i would not be surprised there you go there you go uh we just had actor jesse bigham on the Beat Break Morning Show before you came on to give his two cents on uh, the ongoing strike. Uh, not so much for the writers anymore, but for the actors. Uh, in case you are just tuning in and just to uh, get people up to speed with the writer strike, uh, WGA, the Writers Guild of America, called the end to a strike on the evening of Tuesday, September 26th, which was not even that long ago. And the entertainment industry's engines began to rev back up. After sitting idle for 148 days, 148 days of, you know, just watching reruns and maybe shows on YouTube, you know, and and there were some shows that um, some people have not yet seen. You know, it it gives people an opportunity, uh, David, to even binge watch um, some shows and some content that they didn't get a chance to see because nowadays and, and like what me and Jesse talked about a few moments ago we have so many options than ever be before so many platforms and even myself being still being a TV consumer David I still have yet to binge watch some of these shows that people have put in my ear because I'm over here watching X amount of stuff that's on Hulu and Netflix that I haven't had a time time to go see some of the other content on these other platforms. So it's a very interesting time in the entertainment industry. And one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on here is to give your two cents on the ongoing strike. Of course, you know, you, you got friends, you got people in the industry that have been through it. So what are your two cents on it thus far? Um, it's been a surreal moment because I, you know, even if you're not a member of the WGA, you still follow kind of, you know, where the WGA goes is where everybody goes. And so you've kind of been in, you know, solidarity, following rules and seeing where it is, because the 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 most interesting thing is a lot of the, the, the coverage is about like major, major, you know, productions and how they're affected, everything. But what comes out of these agreements affects, you know, the independent filmmaker. If it affects, you know, the guy who's just kind of, you know, scraping scraping some money together to do a short film. It affects everybody because it kind of resets the rules and the and the kind of the um, expectations of film and television at at any level. So so even if you're not a member of the WGA. Or, you know, it's it's still something you watch with interest because a lot because what what they want, what they want from the big production is what they want for the smaller productions as well. We're all trying to kind of, you know, 
get a fair shot. And so, um, so it's it 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 was uh it's 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 been a been a very like I said best best right to say it's just kind of been a surreal moment for especially independent film and television people. You know what was even surreal were it was hearing the stories of some of the writers and what they had gone through during the strike. So the some of the writers and, and some of the staff members from the TV studios and even from the projects, they had to go and get a regular job. They had to go um, do some ride sharing or take on some um, data entry jobs or just regular jobs just to survive during this strike. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah. how how much of an impact has that made? I mean, just even from your vantage point, like how how much of it of of seeing that impacted you as a filmmaker well it was a, it was a major impact it was kind of um it was kind of unusual seeing you know because people from larger studios and larger productions and writers who have been who have you know have some pretty big projects on their cv having the same complaints that you know independent i just i just like right before strike happened, I we, we was I was just in a conversation with somebody who we we worked on a documentary together. Uh, we finally, you know, were able to get on the different streaming services, and we were saying how you know how unusual the pay structure was. You know, even though it was getting, you know, the, there's a lot of stories of people, you know, getting, you know, X amount of views hits and everything and it being super small mm. and and we were looking at it you know being you know independent like you know what, what what's what's going on is like is it is it, is it kind of a you know a, a favoritism and everything so when the strike comes around and and people from larger studios and larger productions started sharing their shares and like people who were saying like look i'm you know <laughs> You know, the thirty-six dollars for somebody who was writing for—I think it was Grey's Anatomy or something like that. You yeah. know, some some well-known show. So it was that kind of put things in perspective. That you know, you know, if 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 there if if you're suffering at that level, then imagine the person who's kind of you know on independent these projects. You know, you know, finally got a project on Tubi or Amazon or something like that. And so, like, that's why I keep saying it was like it was all up and down the line. You know, it wasn't just like the coverage was mainly for people who have been on major productions like film and television. If you if you said the name, most Americans would would know. But it had an even stronger impact for, you know, those of us who are like, you know, you're getting on your first streaming service. You you finally got this project together. And so, um yeah that's that's what i think this kind of it kind of reveals that it, you know it was it was up and down the board mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even one entertainer i believe and correct me if i'm wrong david whether it's be uh billy porter i believe that's oh. him billy porter uh very vocal about it and how the strike affected him financially and just his current circumstance we're talking about entertainers that been in the business for as long as they did and losing their homes or on the verge of losing their homes because during the strike they weren't able to make any money right you know and and i just find that so 
incredible, you know, in, in a very challenging way because it's like one minute you on top of the world, you working in an industry where you you have this amazing opportunity to make a lot of money and then the strike happens and production studios projects get shut down and your bills got to get paid <laughs> you know mm -hmm. you don't want to go back you know even in your mind you know you don't want to go back to working a regular job and if you work a regular job then people notice you and be like wait a minute what are you doing here ain't you supposed to be doing television like why is this well-known person working at a regular job or you know in a in a car driving people around and stuff like you know what i mean so uh it, it it just goes to show you how quick things can change when you are in this predicament yeah and i think it's even i think it's even it's impact it's it's compounded because you know arts you know film music um are so extremely hard to get into to have a living you know it's like uh, film film and music and most entertainment worlds i think if, if there's any it's, it's like sports you know it's like a very small percentage of people make it to the pros and actually are be able to say like yeah, i make a living doing this and and so you have that even when times are good and so you have a, a strike like this situation where you know you've a lot of people you've you've worked really hard to just be able to say you know I do this, and then to have a strike come along and, and or just have you know this kind of situation come along and then it you know it feels like it, it all that work could be gone tomorrow, but it was like like any strike, it was necessary. Strikes are necessary because they challenge the tolerance of an industry mm -hmm. you know an industry will keep going doing something until people just say no and then they have to redo you've seen it in music we see it in, in television you know long time ago television writers were literally you know sitting at desks like cubicles it was like working a, a nine to five you just wrote all day there was they they, they kind of there was no creative when when they had the studio system and so you know things you know they hit a point where that's not tolerable anymore that's not sustainable anymore and so the strikes and so that's the one thing about every time there's a strike like that it's challenging what is tolerable for the people for mostly where the people for the workers for the people who are actually behind the scenes making everything go so mm. that's that's i think that's a moment that we're you know i don't want to say we've come out of because we still the actors are still working and fight you know they still we still need to get the actors what what they're do as well yeah but each time this happens it is a it is a kind of a kind of a a moral and ethical check of what we've been doing it's like we've got to a point where it's no longer well Oh, that's just the business. No, it's when people finally say, "No, this 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 is not the business. This can't be the business model anymore. It has to change." So, it's 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 horrible, but it it's 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 rough, but it it always needs to be done. Yeah, film director David Weathersby right here on the Beat Boy Morning Show, adding his two cents to the ongoing writer strike happening out there in Hollywood. Yours truly, Sean Garvey, in the studio with him. Uh, once again, going back to actor Jesse Bigham, who was just on the first half of the Beat Break Morning Show, adding his two cents into the conversation. He thinks that there is going to be another writer strike 
in the next 10 years would you agree oh yeah i i, I think <laughs> if, if you're looking for a future where there will be no more strikes it's it, you're going to be looking a long time and it goes back to like i was saying because there will always be a point where people will the tolerance of business as usual will not be tolerable anymore and so and that's when strikes happen and that's where and you, and you see it just in life in general where whether we're talking about film or politics or sport or everything mm -hmm. human society gets to a point where you know you 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 can no longer just accept and something has to change because it's like without it you know a whole swath of people are just not going to be able to survive and so yeah there's going to be another strike there's going to be something um like this strike had a lot to do with ai there will probably be something a lot of times a technology or a new yeah a new a new technology or a new way of of creating causes questions or causes controversy and that leads to it so yeah there will there will there will always be there will always be strikes there will always be um you know things like this and protest and pickets and everything but like i said they are necessary because they are the only way that people make the necessary changes to to keep for people to be at least trying to be sustainable and having a living living way wage and and um you know being able to get compensated for what they do mm-hmm and you brought up something that was a very good point and let's just take it outside of the film and tv industry for just one moment because now we're seeing strikes in other professions you know we're seeing mm -hmm. the automobile strike that's happening right now and right. Do, do you see this as more so as the the political climate that we are in you know um inflation is still happening um so many things have risen so many things are, are are like sky high uh from where we get our gas from uh to the grocery stores and what we purchase and everything like we still want to be entertained right because we you know we we want that uh, escapism we want to be able to um still watch our favorite programming relax and watch television but looking at the world today from a political microscope and seeing the inflation and seeing the rise in costs do you look at it as more of a, a political thing with what's happening with all these strikes including with the writer strike i, th I think that I, I think you could probably draw some connection um to just you know people wanting the world is changing and it's not even it, it, it's funny because a lot of times strikes you know the focus is always around the, the money you know how much you know how much you know people are, are getting paid but to me every strike is a is is a social change as well mm. you know you look at like 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 with the auto workers you know it's like it's not just we want a raise it's 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 a it's talking about the wealth gap it's it's it, it deals with why is this person the value of somebody based off of where they are so and that goes into that goes into classes it goes into social issues so you know strikes are always more than i think just the money we kind of focus in on you know where people are getting paid and that's where they begin and end depending on that but it's also just kind of a you know 
a class issue of how we see people, how do, how, you know, like with the auto workers, they're talking about the, the difference between how much a CEO is making as opposed to somebody who's working in the factory. And that goes beyond just, you know, one's getting paid way more than the other. It's like, how do you see and value this person? Is this person supposed to be more valuable to society because of it or, you know, and so that's what I think. That's why I think that's why you, you see these strikes and you see union because it's like, it may not be um, the forefront, but it's it's an important part. It's kind of like an unspoken part of any kind of dispute like this. Mm-hmm. Y- you know, I, I mean, the strikes and just people out here protesting and marching and making these demands, it's, it's just such a game changer. It's like what you said, people are bucking the system and demanding what they work hard for and i i I think in my personal view on things david i think there's going to be more strikes happening in other platforms and other professions not just only in the automobile industry the film and entertainment industry but just several industries you know uh, especially with ai being in the center of it all and and some of us still don't know what that looks like (laughs) you know what i mean we still don't know because it's still still early in the game but it's going to be so unprecedented to see uh who else is going to be on strike what which companies and which industries are going on strike or the people that are within those industries are going to strike it's just going to be very very interesting to see more and more strikes happening right now and you know it's just that call to action for people to get paid for what they deserve especially when we in a different economic climate than right. we ever been in what 20 30 years right right <laughs> yeah. yeah and that was you know before the strikes you know that that's another issue that's come up um a few times, especially with like companies like Uber, it's like you know we have a, uh, you know the like some people refer to it as like the gig gig work culture, you know, or something like. There's a lot of people who don't fall into a lot of these rules were written when everyone was considered, you know, it's like worker boss management. They almost it, everything was almost built up out of like a factory or office kind of mindset, but the world's changing where people are. There's a lot of more independent contractors, people who are working gigs. Their 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 source of income does not fall into the, the traditional roles, but the people who pay want to keep it traditional pay. Mm. You know, for for various reasons that a they just don't want to pay the, the 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 money that they know they should, and they're trying to prolong it as long as they can. So that's what that goes back to my point talking about like strikes are it's more than just the pay it's you know it's accepting the difference in society and culture in culture you know like this like accepting that some people are not working traditional nine to fives people are you know in you know some people are independent contractors hell look 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 at look at all the drama around home you know people working from home and things like that you know it's it's um you know money like the 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 is you is usually paramount but it's it's kind of people needing a change pushing for a change and other people who 
have have benefited from there not being any change resisting mm -hmm. until they just kind of figure out that they can't resist anymore i mean you can go back through time and see the same thing happening over and over again yeah yeah what do you have to say to the up-and-coming actors and writers and the new talent that are still trying to break in to the industry are already breaking in into the industry and watching these nuances unfold what is your advice to them or, or what do you want to say to those people that are coming in in the midst of this ongoing writer strike uh for them to realize you know you know when you when you're doing stuff like film you're like you know you you, you learn you, you you learn the basic rules of how to do it but everyone finds you know their their corner their niche or what they do and that that's normal and that's actually a good thing but you also have to realize that you know your industry and your world around you has to be healthy for your personal world to be healthy as well I, you know before I, before I started doing film I was a videographer and I would do you know I would I would you know show up for gigs and everything and I would get a lot of resistance you know people would like you know they they didn't want to give deposits and they were kind of like calling me over and making sure I showed up and the reason why I found out later was you know at the time the industry wasn't that wasn't that healthy there was a lot of people in claiming to do the job who weren't showing up and doing things you know they were doing things that just weren't ethical right mm -hmm. and so i learned i realized you know i'm paying for someone else's conduct and that's why i realized it's important i could i could just you know i could have easily just said you know oh, you know what i don't care i'm different it's you know it doesn't matter what anybody else is but i realized then that if you're trying to work in in an unhealthy industry it is going to affect you. It's, you're going to have to spend time and effort to kind of prove and, and kind of navigate all that. So it's 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 important that your industry that you put in work to make sure your industry is healthy as well as your own personal private business. Mm, yeah. What about just creating your own or creating your own table? Like nowadays, we see content creators and even talent whether it's creating their own youtube channel or creating their own network i don't know if people that are watching us david know this or not but there's a certain type of service i'm just i'm not gonna say the name of of it but there's a certain type of service that's out there that allow you to create your own channel or to create your own network where people can go and stream and even monetary support you right uh mm. what 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 about that like do you think that's more of a better route for a new talent to go and have their content distributed versus going to the major companies the major distribution studios do, do you think that's more of a better route than the traditional route i always think it's better for you to have and this is what I did. It's better for you to have a track record and a history behind you in negotiating than to basically going asking for somebody to give you a chance. For for example, it's like a lot of times people think that they go into this and if they say the right thing, but a lot of times the, the people, they're looking for what you've already accomplished. So it's best for you to build your audience and, and come in with 
with your own work not not wait for it. i tell people all the time like even when, when i'm dealing with with studios and everything it's like i'm not asking you for anything i'm telling you what i'm doing and what i'm going to do and you can either be a part of it or not when people get into a mode of i'm asking you to please look at my, i'm asking you to do stuff like that then you have you have kind of given away your own power just personally everything like that so i'm always telling people you know you go regardless what, what research you have you build your platform you build your audience you build it as much as you can because whether you stay at that level or somebody comes in mm -hmm. they they are negotiating with you and your accomplishments and your work instead of somebody instead of you sitting there a hoping that they like you enough or anything or b because you don't have that leverage behind it they can you can kind of get pushed around so yeah I, that that's that's kind of my thing with everything it's like i'm not i'm not gonna ask you for anything i'm going to tell you what i'm going to do what i'm planning on doing and what i'm going to do regardless of whether <laughs> what you say or not and if you if you like it then get on board like that if, or or if not it's like for some reason people like to people like to run for and jump on moving trains instead of catching them out at the platform yeah if that makes sense yeah yeah <laughs> it's like we prefer to run after the train after it's running after and then instead of like oh it's it's sitting here in the platform no i'm not saying i'm sitting here and wait till it actually starts moving and right. then i'll run after it and try before you get in for the doors closed yeah <laughs> what a great analogy you know something that tyler perry said at the awards show uh while everybody is trying to get a seat at the table i'm gonna stay here and create my own table you know, mm -hmm. and uh, that that's something to take heed into in today's world. And, and you know what? I don't see anything wrong with having to create your own table and still have a seat at the table. Because guess what? You bring in something to the table that helps the industry when they're struggling or, you know, mm -hmm. if, even if they are are not struggling, what you bring in is bringing you know you bringing value to that industry to where it is it, something to put on your resume and then while you have your own on the side or outside of that industry you have your own to where you are in control of your own creativity you are able to be in a position to hire your own people to recruit the kind of talent and to also put out the kind of content that you want to put out so it's the same thing like with me right i have reach one communications i have this platform i invented 87 fm from the ground up i have multiple platforms where i simulcast the beat break morning show i own the rights to the beat break morning show for the past 12 13 years that's a round of applause for that um and then at the same time right i have my show the mental space outside of the beat break morning show on odyssey uh in which Odyssey is the parent company to 1380 WLK, in which you could shameless plug, ladies and gentlemen, you can catch the mental space Wednesday nights from 7 to 9 p.m. on 1380 WLK, in which I own the rights to as well. So I, I don't think there's nothing wrong with having the best of both worlds, you know, as long as you understand the business. And I, I think it's challenging at times, David, that some people, in, in, you know, talent and writers, even writers for that uh, matter, they come into the business not knowing 
the business <laughs> you Ooh. know not knowing what they're walking into and and what could be expected and, and so you know to to your assessment earlier and, and this question is for you um how important is it for talent and, and even for writers to learn the business to understand the business is it important that they should know the business or should they just shut up and write and make great content <laughs> Oh, no, you have to understand the business. It's like, even if you are planning on, <laughs> I, I told somebody, you know, a long time ago, I said, I said, you should learn every rule of the business because that's the only way you know which ones you need to break. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, you need to know there's a lot of rules and, and by learning all of them, you know, which ones need to be broken and which ones might have some validity so it all comes back to knowing them and then it's up to you as a as a person to realize okay this one's outdated i'm going to take a risk and you know break this rule break that rule and and go from there and so so that's 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 the reason why you know sometimes sometimes people just they follow all of them because they don't know you know, they, they feel like they're all important. And there's other people who just like break all of them and they think because, you know, they're all bad. And it's usually, you know, a good chunk of them probably need to be broken, but there are a few others. And only with a knowledge of, of the industry do you kind of, um, can you, can you, can you make that determination, you know, of, yeah. of, of what? Because one thing I think it's always funny is that, you know, there's somebody, Almost every norm, every rule in the industry was probably at one point a rebellion. Somebody mm -hmm. had to do it first and it worked and then it became a norm. It became something that people taught in school how to do. Right. But the first time it was done, it was a breaking of the rules. And the, the ironic thing about it, you would think after, you know, you have all these classes and all this information that's based off of somebody who stepped out and did something totally different. People will be a little bit more receptive for it, but a lot of people are just, they keep following the rules. So that's the irony of it is like almost the rules are kind of based off of successful rebellions that later become rules yeah. because they succeeded. Yeah. <laughs> so so it, it, it's kind of weird but yeah that's my advice to everybody it's like you know you have to learn the rules because you need to know if you're gonna if you're gonna break them which you probably will need to you need to know why you're breaking them and how much to break them and and what and what's what's the purpose of this yeah yeah i think that's a classic saying it's better to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission mm -hmm. yep <laughs> so it definitely ties into your your ideology your ideology on that note uh but david weathersby i know you gotta go man and uh, i appreciate the time for you to come on and even drop your two cents into the conversation along with uh jesse bigham who we had on the show earlier in the program but uh i know you got some amazing stuff you got in the works in the near future but once again chicago the documentary uh, y'all go check it out if y'all haven't already it's different in chicago and uh all the other projects that of course david weathersby have under his belt but if they want to go not if but when we want to put it out there in the universe when people go and watch your material 
your projects and stuff how can they go about watching your documentaries and your films um my, my website is city vanguard it's kind of clearinghouse for all the projects coming up right now um we have a um, latest documentary the full like uh one called the uh the the debauchery ball we just released the director's cut that's on that's on tubi it's going to be on amazon pretty soon um uh, quality tv so that's one that that people can check out we're about to premiere the latest um uh docu documentary series that, that we're the pilot is about to launch in about a month now and that's called sex and color which is a kind of a documentary representing this is the anthology of the different nuances and obstacles of black sexuality from kink to identity to lifestyle and things of that nature and how it's different for for the black community um and so we we have our pilot episode premiering um next month um with that one but whatever's going on cityvanguard.com there'll be a link to it and, and all all the socials are there and and um keep you posted on that yeah indeed and you know what i got a big ups to um riddell drakeford and also let me play this one that we have in the background here let me see if i can play it um yeah we can play this one uh big shout out to riddell drakeford and precise also my people from chicago uh they help or actually riddell he helped arrange this interview with david weathersby so i want to make sure that i get an opportunity to thank riddell for setting up this interview again thank you, you david weathersby uh it's 50 years in hip-hop of course we're still celebrating 50 years in hip-hop and i'm playing some of the instrumental beats by precise in the background you may not hear it on your end david um but we got them playing in the background right now uh i gotta ask you before we let you go it's, of course it's 50 years in hip-hop what does 50 years in hip-hop mean to you um 50 years in hip hop is just another cultural triumph for black culture you know just I think that's what it is I mean I enjoy but it is a triumph of of black American culture trying against all odds to have you know not just a global music, but maybe probably arguably the number one or most well-known musical genre in, in, the, in the world right now, you know, started by kids in the street. You know, I, I, you know, I think that's, that's so 50 years represents, like I said, another cultural victory and triumph for black culture. And, um, and it should, and it definitely should be celebrated. Yeah. And you from a city, you, you're in a city right now uh, in the part of the world where hip hop is embraced a lot mm -hmm. out there just as much as anywhere else, especially in New York. Uh, you know, Chicago, when you think of Chicago, you think, of course, Common and Lupe Fiasco, even Kanye West, the Brad and, and so many others, man. Um, who did you grow up listening to from Chicago uh, that made you be like, man, I, I could just listen to this person rap. I can just listen to this person spit every single day. Like, who was it from Chicago that really caught your ears? Uh, Common. Common, Common was my guy because 
I've been here. I've, I've been in Chicago year eleven, but I was actually born on on the West Coast, and some of my early schooling was on the West Coast. And I and even back then, my favorite rapper, the person I was listening to at the time, was Common. I didn't really. This was before I, you know, transitioned over to Chicago. And one of the things about Chicago that was so interesting is that there were so many different sounds of hip hop out of Chicago. I remember having a conversation with somebody on the West Coast. And and they swore up and down that Common was from New York, the Brat was from L.A., and Crucial Conflict was from the South. Ooh, we <laughs> and, and all three of those are from Chicago. They're just from different sides of yeah. Chicago, and they just kind of illustrated how many different sounds and how much was coming out of it. That you know, people from other places just assumed. That you know, oh no, no, the brats. Like I, I remember having a whole conversation with somebody saying, "Yo, yeah, no, 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 the brats from L.A. Common wow. from New York. Cru- crucial conflict. Oh, that's a that's a down south." Rapper. I never heard yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I, it, trust me, it was it was a it was a West Coast Seattle kind of. It, it wasn't, but but it just showed they were basing it basically just on how people sound in their styles. Yeah. And, and it was hard for them to realize that no, the, these multiple sounds and these multiple so- styles all come out of one city. You know, just different sides. One's from South Side, one's from the West Side. You know, it's just and so I just, you know, to this day that still, you know, cracks me up a little bit that conversation. That is that is bananas. Like <laughs> I, I I mean, yeah, it's very di- it's very diverse in Chicago when it comes to hip-hop you know just throughout the history throughout the years of uh artists coming out of chicago but i mean but then again in retrospect i can understand why they would say that like you know i mean common been influenced by a lot of the artists before him that came out of the east coast that came out of new york yeah you know and yeah yeah. so I, i can see that but it's a great transition though because next week's show I am going to bring on, and I'm glad you mentioned this, especially about the West Coast, David. Um, I'm going to bring on some folks to talk about what Special Ed said in an episode of Drink Champs. Did you get a chance to watch the recent episode where Special Ed mentioned what he said on Drink Champs? You know what? I have been in that I saw. <laughs> I didn't see what exactly he said, but I saw it trending. I was just like, okay. okay. I, I don't I know Special Ed said something, but I don't it, I, I didn't quite see it. But I saw it, I saw, it was I saw very it. it was very controversial. I will say that. <laughs> right, right. I need to. I am so behind on social because I've been running. I've been had my head down in in these projects. But yeah, I know he said something. Yeah, I just don't know exactly what. So he said. so to to give our viewers and our listeners, David, a sneak peek on what we're going to talk about on the next Beat Break Morning Show, since we are celebrating fifty years in hip hop. Special Ed, one of the the best hip hop pioneers in hip hop history. Uh, Special Ed went on an episode of Drink Champs and said that N.W.A. caused hip hop to go under. And I'm just paraphrasing mm. what he said, but you can go back and watch it on YouTube. Of course, they have their episodes, including that one with Special Ed on YouTube. But he said mm-hmm. that N.W.A. was the downfall to hip-hop at that time because nwa introduced gangster rap to the hip-hop scene where before nwa 
it was just all East Coast. It was all New York artists, you know, from Karis One to Public Enemy to many others. They brought in just conscious hip hop, you know, East Coast rappers. You didn't hear them use profanity. You didn't hear them, you know, degrading women, calling women bees and ages and stuff. It was more conscious it was more political but yet it was also having fun and what have you but then when nwa came into the scene things have changed in hip-hop mm, okay yeah yeah so I, it's it's I, debatable yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I i can see now i get now i see why the name kept coming up now <laughs> so, yeah i mean i i saw i saw the interview with uh ed lover on um i can't remember is the the barbershop one where he had a lot that was that was i saw that one yeah that was an interview but i did i this this is um yeah i can i can, I can see why that would have people talking yep and even rub some feathers yeah 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 and you know and it's so funny you brought up common because common did a song about that called i used to love her which mm-hmm. i thought when i first heard the record you know the song came out what in 93 94 and yeah. we all thought that he was talking about a woman yeah but in actuality you know even common said when i'm talking about y'all is hip-hop he was talking about how hip-hop coming from new york coming from the east coast and made that transition over to the west coast and how things have changed since it went to the west coast right right and 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 even after the song the aftermath from the song is what caused the beef between common and ice cube and west side connection <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 i remember so, that so yeah i remember that i remember that i remember that and and it's and it, um yeah I, I, I yeah I re- I remember that <laughs> very clearly yeah and and, and, and you know and it is it, a shame that it you know it 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 it's it it went into controversy because it should have been it should have been a discussion you know it been it would have been a great you know kind of civil discussion about it but you know it ends up you know a beef and yeah this record's going back and forth and so but it, yeah it, it is something that would have been it would have been good to have just a a kind of civil discussion about right right well hey uh, at least no blood was not shared or, or shed i should say no blood was shared <laughs> shed after after that discussion or after that whole controversy or whatever but we're going to revisit exactly. that we're going to revisit that on the next show um, since we are still celebrating 50 years in hip-hop. But I appreciate it, David Weathersby, for coming on the Beat Break Morning Show and adding your two cents into the conversation. Of course, we have your social media handle at the bottom there, at David Weathersby, if anybody want to hit you up, follow you, and all that good stuff. And any last remarks before we let you go? Um, all I got to say is just thank you again. You do an amazing job. I'm absolutely honored uh, to be on here. Um, yeah, just thank you. And thank you for what you're doing for, for artists and everybody around the country. It is greatly appreciated. If you, if you don't hear from anybody else, let me tell you that what you do is greatly appreciated. Oh, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. And I appreciate you for doing great things for the culture uh, with filmmaking and everything. And, you know, I we are all expecting to see more great things from your end on a film level or on a tv level whatever that looks like 
and yeah man you know just continue on doing the great things that you're doing in the industry and you are always a a guest you are always a welcoming guest to the beat break morning show anytime you want to come back man greatly appreciate it man i'm honored man all right thank you so much well thank you so much film director david weathersby on the beat break morning show uh we are still celebrating 50 years in hip-hop uh we may have some throwback interviews from one of our hip-hop pioneers that we had on the beat break morning show recently so you all stay tuned we got that coming up and more right here on the beat break morning show with sean garvey and dj rollum on 87 fm 101 the vibe fm and on the flow television network as well as on reach one network y'all keep it locked sean garvey is the mc so respect the architect as i put to build dj rollum is the dj go dj that's my dj go dj that's my dj and star kells fills you in on what's trending she's doing anything for clout do anything for clout the beat break morning show Tune in and tap in.